0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, Ben Galver. What's up, man?
1: Not too much, Andrew. Still in Las Vegas. Still alive, just barely. Everything's going <laughs> wonderfully out here. It's been, uh, you know, a really hectic few days, and I think kind of the peak of just you know Vegas, you know, insanity uh, came on Tuesday when the Players Association and Adam Silver both had press conferences and then squeezed in between those two like a very filling sandwich. You know, you call it like a lunch meat maybe. Uh, was a podcast I did with CJ McCollum and Jordan Schultz. It's called The Pull-Up Podcast. Uh, people can go check that out if they want to. Don't worry. I'm
0: sure they love being described as, as the lunch meat. Well,
1: hey, it was a good, it was a tasty, filling, very satisfying meal, Andrew. <laughs> That's can- true.
0: Nothing wrong with lunch meat here. We're pro-turkey, pro-ham. It's all good
1: yeah you are I mean, I yeah, maybe it's Tofurky for me, but uh <laughs> that's probably what they don't want to be compared to, but I thought the takeaway from just that insane day, Tuesday, okay, Adam Silver's press conference, where you know he tried his darndest not to make you know big bold declarations. he tried to be kind of you know cautious Adam and you know he had a few updates on things we might talk about the one and done or uh you know some of these other issues, you know, changing the start time of free agency and so forth. But I thought the biggest, most interesting thing he had to say, Andrew, was essentially to take guys like you, who have been whining about the NBA being ruined by the Golden State Warriors, and he just flipped you the double bird, and he said, guess what? (laughs) We don't have a problem. The league is great. Golden State should be doing whatever they can by the letter of the law, by the rules that we've got in place to you know increase their dominance he even went there and I thought it was interesting Andrew because to me this kind of represented an about face I mean you remember two years ago he was kind of digging in on KD when KD made that decision saying that you know an aggregation of talent on one super team wasn't in the NBA's best interest and saying you know it wasn't ideal for the league and it doesn't matter about the TV ratings he said uh, he thought it was better if more teams had sort of the the chance to win a title. Now, two years of the Warriors killing everyone, Katie being, you know, finals MVP twice, them winning the title back-to-back years. It seems like Adam Silver has kind of moved into the acceptance phase. I don't know if the light years guys <laughs> have got to him, but I was just curious because you are in that, that camp that says there's things that, are, that need to be a lot better. And it's not like yeah. S- Silver said there's going to be no changes, right? I mean, he's sort of very carefully hinting towards maybe they could have a harder cap in the future but i'm i think from your perspective does that bother you when he has like the state of the union address here in july and you know there's a lot of people out there who feel like you feel and he basically just flips you off and says kick rocks how'd you feel about that
0: um i didn't see his comments honestly uh which i guess speaks to how kind of insular this can become because I don't think that many people are paying attention to the NBA in July beyond like our little world. Um, And I, it doesn't bother me at all. I, to me, I think Adam Silver definitely knows that this is not ideal. And at this point I'm not even whining anymore. Like there are definitely points (laughs) over the last two playoff runs where I have been kind of grumpy about it. I am just saying objectively the league is not in a great place to capitalize on all the awesome things it has going for it right now. I mean, it's perfectly tailored to the Internet. It has the deepest talent pool that we've seen in probably 25 or 30 years. I mean, like, there the the league is growing for a lot of really good reasons. I just think it could be growing even more than it already is but there's just kind of a ceiling on how dramatic that this can get um, because of the Warriors. And I think privately he would acknowledge that in a heartbeat. And I think Michelle Roberts would do the same. It just is, there's no real gain to coming out publicly and being like, well, yeah, you guys are right. I read Sharp's column. The the league is broken and this kind of sucks, but we're just kind of muddling through like, if you're Adam Silver, it actually makes sense to just kind of lean into it and then cross your fingers that Kevin Durant goes elsewhere this summer. I feel like that's the, the only play for him at this point.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, put the brave face on now, regardless of how you feel behind closed doors. He did reference the fact that some owners were still, you know, very concerned about this issue and spending a lot of time talking about it. And and I think maybe that was just his little shout out to them of being like, guys, don't worry. Uh, You know, I'm I'm trying to put on a a smiley face here and and sell the game, but I, I do understand your grievances. By the way, I'm very impressed, Andrew. I tried to tee you up, and you're just so smooth and suave. I mean, you got this like lawyer-like <laughs> ability to just duck and weave, and you're praising the league. And it could be even better. I mean, man, uh, I wonder what happened to uh, you know the, the sharpshooter who wants to take down Adam Silver. It's a different, uh, <laughs> a different vibe from you. But uh, I also think, practically, uh, in addition to the point you made. Uh, timing-wise, they just committed to this new collective bargaining agreement. So yeah. to make any sort of radical changes, he needs to get the players' union involved, right? Well, that becomes uh, awful difficult if they can't just renegotiate a deal midway through it or, or very early on. I think that's one thing that's holding it back. I think, two. LeBron leaving gives him some cover, doesn't it? Because you're mentioning like the po- the prospect of KD leaving uh, next summer and that could like even out the competitive balance. But just the fact that we know for sure we're going to have new blood in the finals, there's going to be all new storylines in the Eastern Conference and you're going to have the LeBron in LA thing carrying the league story and driving a lot of television interest next season. That really yeah. does him a saw. Like LeBron, you know, he really uh he helped Adam Silver out here this summer, didn't he?
0: I I definitely think so and I I also think that like as basketball fans we were already sort of there this past season but it's going to be even more dramatic this next season where I think a lot of people are just going to kind of ignore the Warriors and and acknowledge them for what they are and focus on other things that are more dramatic which LA is going to be like whichever direction you see the Lakers going it's not going to be boring and uh and I think that it's it's just going to be a really different experience watching next year like there's not going to be any debate about whether the rockets can beat that warriors team or i mean maybe there will be maybe people can talk themselves into a couple challengers but i i think that like in some ways it's good for basketball because I, like you and i have watched 80% of the league forever and and i think like mainstream fans are beginning to recognize that that sort of quasi contenders like the Sixers or the Bucks can be every bit as interesting as the best teams in the league and on the whole that is probably a win for for the NBA long term like if if people learn to watch it this way now and a couple years from now there's parody at the top of the league like who knows The, the the league can grow even more.
1: I hear you. I also is think... Is that too
0: abstract and, and weird? I don't no, I don't know. I'm, no, it might be too galaxy brain there.
1: No, I, I think you're onto something. I also think more immediately for next season that the Celtics taking down the Warriors is going to be a storyline that people just can't avoid falling in love with. I think that's going to be just a major... Like, this is the new challenger. Like, you know, we, we've rode LeBron for four years hoping that he was going to take down the Warriors. It happened once. And now here come the, the reloaded Whoa. Celtics. And, and that's going to be everybody's, you know, uh, you know new hope.
0: It's funny that you say that because that's actually where I wanted to start today. Um, we got a question here. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to. We've got about an hour and 15 minutes before I have to take off. Um, but we oh, have wow. a question. You're, you're from- really
1: important. That sounds that <laughs> sounds great. What are you doing?
0: That's you also know? a really long time. That's not like it's a short podcast. But um, Marshall says, hey, guys, I was reading ESPN's five-on-five debate on who the top three teams in the East are now that LeBron is in LA. And it got me thinking, is the Eastern Conference now the mid-majors of the NBA? Won't the East winner be seen as a Cinderella-esque team where even making the finals is still a great season and extremely memorable? And I included that question at the top for a few different reasons. Number one, I don't know if you recall, but exactly one year ago, we were sitting in your hotel room and you were very excited to jump on the podcast and debut your new take, which was that the West was the show and the East was AAA. And here we are, 365 days later, having basically the exact same conversation. So thank you, Marshall. Um,
1: no, don't thank but, you, Marshall. Marshall, step it up, man. You got to be listening longer and understand. We, <laughs> a great we've, point. <laughs> we've already covered this territory. The West <laughs> is the show. The East is AAA. There's one team in the Eastern Conference next year that I really like. It's the Celtics. I like yes. the Sixers. I will fake respect the Raptors just because it's easier to get through most conversations, you know, and we have to kind of line up Canada as a potential place for us to move to in the future. Just, you know,
0: (laughs) cover all your bases. Absolutely.
1: You know, Andrew, if that American block gets too hot, we need to have a backup. You know what I mean? So
0: I'm going to the West coast of Ireland. I've already established this.
1: Yeah. Especially if they have Wi-Fi, right? But, um, (laughs) But there's one team I like in the Eastern Conference. It's the Celtics. I don't know if that makes this triple A, mid-majors or whatever you want to call it, but I think their path is so clear. And, you know, whether, you know, you want to be a real dark horse guy and talk yourself into the Bucks or the Pacers or the Wizards. I mean, I guess the way to spin the Eastern Conference is basically anyone could make the finals, right? If you get lucky against Boston or Philly, uh, you could, you know, randomly yeah. find yourself in the finals. To me, that's just not fun, though. and. Maybe that's why, you know, the college basketball, the college football comparisons that you've tried to make before, you know, for the East, you know, some people like the randomness, some people like the goofiness. Uh, To me, I would prefer that Boston or Philly comes out of the East because they would at least give us a respectable finals. I think everybody else is getting wiped off the map.
0: Yeah, well, the point on Boston is an important one. And it's one that I feel like has gotten lost over the past couple weeks. I think like we're all kind of, just reflexively doing the hand-wringing over conference imbalance and just saying, oh, my God, like, why don't we seed 1-16? to I mean, literally, we've gotten, like, 25 questions in in the emails about reseeding the playoffs and everything. And, I mean, I hear you. There are definitely better players in the West. But I think, like, Marshall's question here, like, won't the East winner be seen as a Cinderella esque team where just making the finals is still a great season and extremely memorable? I think that's how people have been talking about the Rockets in the West, like just challenging the Warriors and pushing them in the Western Conference Finals is seen as a great season and extremely memorable. Yeah, and but I, the,
1: the key difference is they can push Golden State to seven, right? I mean, that is that's a meaningful difference in
0: in the most ideal circumstances for houston they were able to push them to seven i don't think that they would be able to do that even next season and and if you know what's crazy
1: as soon as that series ended you did everything in your power to give them zero credit for it it's remarkable how you've tried to undercut houston's accomplishments andrew
0: i mean (laughs) i'm just being honest i like it's it's no shot at them i think they and actually no you can go back and listen to the podcast I I talked about how awesome and impressive they were, but I don't think we need to overstate how close they are to Golden State. And I wow. think Andrew, everyone,
1: you faked you faked it for five minutes. I mean, come on, that was like you know it was <laughs> practically <not> <laughs> it was practically a Sex in the City episode. That you, is you, not You faked true. it for five minutes, and then you went back to how you really feel.
0: <laughs> All right, look, I'm not here to answer your allegations. Okay, what I'm here to say is that Boston is clearly the second best team in the in the league next year. And it pains me to say it, but I feel like if we're going to start talking about conference imbalance, there are two teams that are legitimately great. One, the Warriors. Two, the Celtics. And the, the healthy version of the Celtics. And everyone else is kind of clamoring beneath them. And, you know... The the West has a lot of talent. They don't have many great teams. I think you're going to see a lot of like 48 win seasons in the West next year. And I I also wonder I mean, the Rockets won 65 games. I could see them slipping back to like 55 wins or or even less this year. And so it just, I, I don't think we need to overthink the conference imbalance too much because it's really Golden State and Boston and everybody else
1: well i think i agreed with part of what you said and i pretty strongly disagree with other parts but i think when i look at houston i think they can still be a top two team but i do definitely expect regression i think betting on regression from them is the easiest bet in the league yeah. um even with chris paul you know theoretically healthy for 82 games uh, next season i think that's pretty safe and, and a you know a pretty smart expectation um i think I would have Golden State, then Houston, then Boston, but it would be pretty close between the two, three. And I think you can make a pretty strong case that Boston actually has a stronger hold, you know, a wider gap uh, Mm -hmm. between itself and the second tier in the East than Golden State does in the West. Because there's a lot of really good teams and, you know, a few of them are bound to be, you know, break through and have really good seasons. You would expect, especially if they enjoy good health. But the, the reason for the 1-16 to 16 playoff format isn't just to set up a better final than whatever the East and West can produce, right? It's about sure. getting those terrible teams. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, the Washington Wizards of the world, just like <laughs> making sure that they don't get in the playoff bracket in the first place. And if they do make the playoff bracket, they're out in the first round no matter what, because they have to play a real team. And the scary thing is, we could be looking at two or three rounds of Washington Dwight in the playoffs, because there's just so many bad teams over there that nobody can knock them out. And I think that problem has gotten much worse this year. And I think, again, you're going to see it next year. The, the Western Conference playoffs from the first round on is going to be an absolute bloodbath between the seven teams that aren't Golden State. And then the Easter conference. Though,
0: we said that last summer. We sat here. Well, last it was summer a lot, but it was a how, lot
1: better, Andrew. We had a lot. I mean, remember Utah versus uh, Oklahoma City? That was a great series. I mean, well, all those was series it had. I mean,
0: yes, that Thunder was. team was not that good. I mean, and the Minnesota team this year. Granted, Jimmy Butler missed twenty games, but you look up in the playoffs. Like the Wolves weren't that impressive. The Nuggets make it this year. They're not going to be that impressive. Okay, Who knows so you, what version of the Spurs we're talking about. Like,
1: Look, th- those are all better than the the uh, alternatives in the Eastern Conference. How much did you love Toronto-Cleveland? How much did you love you know, <laughs> Toronto's first-round series, Toronto-Washington? I mean, it's a joke. Well, it's terrible th- you basketball.
0: You know what, man? That's actually a great segue uh, because we should talk about Toronto here. There's been buzz building over the last few days. Marco says... Have you guys been hearing about the possibility of Kawhi Leonard going to the Raptors? Apparently, they are the favorites right now. And he spelled favorites the Canadian way with the O-U-R construction. And he he says, please share your thoughts on this. Ben, so we heard kind of whispers earlier in the week that the Raptors were in play for Kawhi. Tim Bontemps reported it. Um, Brian Windhorse also echoed those sentiments a couple days later I just looked up in Vegas they are now even odds to get Kawhi and I think everyone again we're in mid-July a lot of people are just kind of exhausted from the NBA right now and and so maybe that that's why this isn't a bigger deal but it does kind of seem like behind the scenes there's some real momentum to make this happen does it make sense to you?
1: Well, the whispers I've been hearing uh, in Vegas have been less about what destination does Kawhi go to, and more about what exactly is going on with Kawhi Leonard, right? And I think, yeah, from last year's regular season, there was all sorts of talk like which is the weirder story, Markel Fultz or Kawhi Leonard? And the Fultz stuff very quickly transitioned into a conversation about the yips and you know, basically, you know, his mental perspective, right? Right. The Ka- the quai stuff stayed on the physical perspective side, and you know, I'm trying to kind of talk carefully here because you know I haven't spoken to him or anyone very close to him, but I think some of the concerns that people have had within the league is is this just a physical problem? Is that why he's quote unquote hiding uh, or you know not communicative uh, or not in public at the playoffs? Like, is there something else going on there? And I think that whether or not there is. Th- The length of how long this has dragged out and how unusual it is for a player as good as him to be out of the limelight and to not speak up for himself and to not really uh, even give his side of the story or, you know, issue a list of teams that he wants to be traded to or like really kind of control this type of scenario. It has people, it has people scared, Andrew, you know, it has people scared. And I guess... The, those kinds of concerns really made me rethink the idea of him in LA, because if there is something else going on, that's the worst place to drop him, right? I
0: mean, there's no question. Yeah. I mean, the, it's I don't the most know. chaotic
1: environment, the most scrutiny, the LeBron factor, everything is going to be looked at. And I guess, and, you know, Philly, frankly, is not much better, Andrew. I mean, those fans are ravenous. You know, they're going to be expecting huge things if they get them. Anything short of a finals appearance would be a gigantic letdown uh, from their perspective. And so I guess, you know, I'm trying to put myself in Uncle Dennis's shoes, which is difficult. But like <laughs> if I'm if managing Kawhi Leonard's career and, and there's anything else going on besides the physical side, you need to be making a very thoughtful decision in terms of where you try to steer him to or where you try to line him up to. You need to make sure you get him into the right type of market where he is going to be embraced and given the opportunity to sort of have that second life you know, after San Antonio. Uh, yeah. and, and from that standpoint, uh, I guess that's more my thinking rather than does the Raptors make sense?
0: Yeah, and the one thing I would I would add is every time you say Uncle Dennis, I can't help but laugh, and it's not necessarily because of like it, because it's funny that like a, a family member is involved in this because a lot of guys have family members involved in managing their career, but this dude has just been so bad at his job for the last twelve months and has mismanaged this at every turn. We have no idea what Kawhi wants, and I'm with you. The longer that this has gone on. The more spooked I've become. Like, I need proof of life from Kawhi Leonard, whether it's a 15 second Instagram video, whether he's gonna show up in Vegas and do the Team USA stuff, which, if he wants a shoe deal, the Team USA stuff is really important. And, but it, again, it's like, we, you, you might think it's out of character for Kawhi to care about that stuff, but we also just have no idea what's in character for Kawhi at this point because he just, we like, He's like a ghost, and uh, it would freak me out if I were the Lakers because I would look at at Brandon Ingram and look at the way the Kawhi stuff has played out, and said, "Look, like if Kawhi plays for a year and he's healthy and looks kind of sane, like absolutely, we'll go get him next summer." But I don't know if I would risk giving up a, a player like Ingram who has kind of quasi All Star potential to take a flyer on Kawhi and bet on him as like the sidekick for the next five years. If the longer we go, the the bigger that risk becomes.
1: Yeah. One other, just quick thing to post postscript on, and jump on what you just said. Sometimes in these situations, you'll come across people who have been in like his orbit, and yeah. they will be their first reaction will be to say, "Look, I know it seems crazy on the internet, but don't worry, Kawhi's fine. Everything's all good. It's business as usual. It's just you know part of the NBA. You know, it's all going to work out." I've talked to some people who have been in, in his orbit. That is not the message they're giving, Andrew. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's more like, uh, yeah, you know, we're not quite sure. <laughs> like a lot of the same concerns that you're expressing are sort of, you know, being put out there. Uh, you know, rather than sort of this reassuring tone, it's more of, you know, just like <laughs> just gen- general uneasiness. Yeah, yeah g- generic which I think concern. is how we
0: all are right now. Yeah, and I it is genuine concern. I loved healthy Kawhi, and the longer this goes, the more I'm beginning to think like we may never see kind of that version of Kawhi. We may never see like prime Kawhi again, um, And but by the same token, you know, if you're a team like the Raptors, the reason I could see it happening with Toronto is that they are in a really similar position to OKC last year where... The alternative they're looking at has a pretty clear ceiling. I mean, granted, like, LeBron is going to be gone next season, and they can maybe talk themselves into making a conference finals run, but, like, I think Masai is done spinning his wheels with this nucleus, and he's probably been making calls all summer, and there just hasn't been a move that has made sense, but... If you're trading for Kawhi that's a really high upside move and the and the downside is he is a bridge to a, a real rebuilding era and I bet they could get it they could get him just for DeRozan and like one other piece at this point because San Antonio also has no real alternatives and uh, I don't know I, I would like that gamble for Toronto and I could see them making that move given everything else we know about what, where their head's at at this point
1: now, don't tell me you're, you're just going to try to slip in this idea that DeMar is going to be on the Spurs. <laughs> you what, are you, know what? <laughs> what are you trying to do? Trying to make that's, me explode? That's
0: <laughs> the biggest reason I included it in the rundown today is the idea of you having to watch this not only the Spurs Empire crumble, but then to have Kawhi be replaced by DeMar DeRozan. It is the Ugh. cruelest fate imaginable. It, this Ugh. is your version of Dwight Howard on the Wizards.
1: Look, when Pop wants to zig when everybody else is zagging, Andrew, I'm in 99% of the time. But <laughs> look, if your team is DeMar and LaMarcus and the whole show is tough twos, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Call me when oh. uh, Call me when the next generation of young stars is kind of you know filtered in there. But uh, in terms of the Toronto fit, I can get really excited about the best case scenario, Andrew, and I think that's where yeah. most people's mind goes to because if you drop Kawhi on that team, they have a chance to make the finals. You know, if you just flop uh, Demar and uh, and and Kauai, and he plays to his capabilities, that can be a finals team. That can be a team that beats Boston in a series, no question about it in my eyes. I mean, I think Boston would probably still be favored, but Toronto would have more than a puncher's chance. But I'm also kind of now fixated a little bit on what the worst case scenario might look like. And we know how the termites are, Andrew. I mean, it takes some thick skin for me to go to battle with these guys night in and night out in the open floor mail at gmail.com email address, right? (laughs) If something didn't go right and you've got that level of a passionate fan base where they're really locked into the Raptors and, you know, obviously hockey's still king up there, but the Raptors are a big deal would that be the platform, you know, that you would want to just kind of like put Kawhi on? Is that under the radar enough? Would he be able to be comfortable? And I think that's, you know, that that's what I'm nervous about right now. So I look at the Lakers, terrible fit in terms of, you know, if, if he's dealing with anything uh, off the court, Philly, same thing. I could see Toronto being a, a lot of scrutiny and, you know, you just kind of wonder like, what is the right place to drop him and and who would be willing to take a rental on him, you know, in those circumstances and the list is not very long where you can say, Oh yeah, you know, he'd he'd be comfortable there, he'd be okay there. Uh, you know, they'd be able to kind of like, you know, give him as many touches and, and stuff as he wants without heaping pressure upon him. And I think uh that is an, an underrated dynamic in this conversation as like these teams try to play uh matchmaker, you know. Uh, where's Kawhi going to be comfortable?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you, man. Um and at this point that's that's one of the issues is like if you if you take Toronto out of the mix, they're kind of a desperate, angsty team right now. Who knows what they're capable of? I don't know. I mean, Philly can put Markel Fultz and Saric on the table, but I don't know if that's enough for San Antonio. And I don't know if the Sixers, because again, like Brett Brown probably has a direct line to the San Antonio brain trust, and um, like for a while, people were talking about that as if it made a Sixers trade more likely. But it could just as easily cut the other way, and and Brett Brown could could know better than most how screwed up this has been, and the Sixers could be more reluctant to get involved. So that may explain why they've been sort of on the sidelines where I think a lot of people expected them to be bigger players in some of this.
1: Yeah, no, I feel you. I I want to demand like total respect from all the the former Spurs, you know, executives and coaches. You know, you don't get to just poach Kawhi and like call it good. You need to, you know, kiss the ring for Popovich. You have to, you have to, you have to overpay in every deal to like make sure that the Spurs aren't going to be on the losing end of it. You know, yeah. I want to make sure San Antonio comes out okay here.
0: Pull off the Kevin McHale move that sets up the next generation of Spurs dynasties. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Look
1: what Ryan McDonough did, you know, handing Isaiah Thomas to the Celtics. That's what we expect from all these, uh, you know, second generation Spurs uh, coaches and uh, GMs.
0: Well, moving on now to back to summer league for a minute. Uh, Avi says, currently, it looks like Trey Young is going to shoot less than 35% from three as a rookie. Give him time, they will say. Steph Curry took time. Even though Steph Curry took five years to become a superstar, he was never a Trey Young. Steph shot 43.7% from three his rookie year with a nice 535 effective field goal percentage. Is it crazy to say that even calling Trey Young a potential poor man Steph Curry is reckless and irresponsible? Honestly, it looks like he'll turn out to be a rich man's Aaron Brooks. Now, listen, that's great hating from Avi, and I respect the commitment to Trey Young trolling there, but I am really a Trey Young believer, and the one thing I want to say is people need to stop fucking comparing him to Steph Curry, okay? Because he's always going to lose in that comparison, and that's not even what makes him great. What makes Trey Young great, he's he's much closer to Steve Nash. Like, the best-case scenario of Trey Young is closer to Steve Nash than Steph Curry. And, I, like, I watching this dude pass, it becomes much harder to imagine a version of his career where he's not at least good. And, call, like, throw in the shooting. Obviously, the shooting's going to be important. It's important with literally every player in the league at this point. But I do think that, like his most special skill is going to be his passing and his ability to kind of work in tight spaces. And we're already starting to see that at Summer League. So what do you think?
1: Andrew, I'm very disappointed in you. I'm very frustrated with you. You know, this podcast only works if you're wrong. If you just keep (laughs) nailing all of your takes and you're just dead right, then you leave me with nothing to say uh avi i respected your sarcastic quotes around give him time curry took time but the rest of the hating i did i wasn't into it at all i think this trey young is a classic example of in summer league if your first game is below par everyone says your summer was below par it Trae became young has, like
0: a talking point like people were talking oh, yeah. about like oh yeah it's a great rookie class except for trey young they were talking about him in hushed tones it was like two games
1: Yeah. Yeah. Are you a bust? I mean, I was getting asked radio interview after radio interview. Is he a bust? Is he a bust? Andrew, to my eye, he has been the best point guard in Vegas. Shea Gilgis Alexander has also been very good, but there's no question. He is the best passer in Las Vegas period. Like already it's, it's not just that. Okay. He is his best skill is going to be passing right now. His best skill is passing. He diced up Uh, a team last night for like five or six straight buckets, just assist after assist after assist uh, during crunch time. And people just are really turned off by his shot selection because his efficiency isn't as high and because he's so new school. It's like every middle school basketball coach in the world rolls their eyes because they- (laughs) I bet. (laughs) But Andrew, it's because they have a Trey Young on their team, right? There's the guy who just takes the dumb shots from 30 feet, heaves it from his waist because he can barely even shoot the ball up there. And they think, oh, this is where the game is going. Oh, you know, like all the old man takes that you accuse me of having. The real old man take is- Trey Young's shot selection is going to make him Aaron Brooks. You know, that is basically what Avi (laughs) just threw at us, right? Hold hold on. (laughs) So I'm just saying this. Put aside the shooting stuff for a little bit because I don't think he's a selfish player. I think he's very self-confident, but he's a very willing and capable passer, and he showed all sorts of different types of passes here in Vegas. I think the biggest question for their season is, how green is his light? Like, does he get to take 12 yeah. threes a game or does he get to take seven threes a game? And how does the coaching staff kind of communicate those instructions to him? And I think the the biggest challenge he's going to face is earning his teammates' trust. The best way to earn the trust of veteran players, even guys who are maybe young like Atlanta's roster, is to feed them the ball. Trey Young is smart enough to realize that if he goes out there and shoots eight three-pointers from 30 feet and he's not shooting very well, Guys are going to turn at him and look at him sideways. I think that peer pressure combined with sort of like a smart, you know, management of like, hey, here's what we're looking for from you in terms of expectations and role heading into the season uh, can put him in a position where he doesn't feel feel the need to, like, you know, scoring burden, won't be so heavy on his shoulders, and he can kind of sink into a more natural role where he's almost more of a pass-first guy.
0: Yeah, and I do think... You hit on it. The biggest question is going to be, how long is his leash? Because there, those are the only moments where I kind of do a double take at Trey Young, where he's shooting from the logo. He takes like, terrible shots. I,
1: There's no question yeah, about
0: it. And like, that is unacceptable. And by the way, I sympathize with the old guy like JV basketball coach who's watching eighth graders shoot like from 35 feet because of Steph Curry. I, that would drive me insane. Like, and Steph... Steph is the greatest shooter we've ever seen in basketball and is like a Michael Jordan level shooter that we may not see for another 20 or 25 years. So like if I were a coach, I would be like, look, that's Steph. You're not Steph. And I think someone needs to have that conversation with Trey Young. Thank you for saying that I do because think-
1: you, what, what you just said is such an important point. Let me underline it. He's the greatest shooter ever. Would we ever say, Andrew, well, you know, my friend Rick, uh, he's really smart. Uh, I think he's a poor man's Einstein. Or, like, oh, yeah, yeah. My, my cousin Carol, <laughs> she can really draw. She's a poor man's Leonardo da Vinci. We would never say that, right? Right. So it's definitely like
0: Will Chamberlain as a shooter. Like, everyone just needs to chill on ever comparing anyone to him. Uh, but Trey Young still has so many other skills that I do think he's going to just be a really valuable offensive player, um, regardless of like, I think he shot like eight for 35 through his first couple games. But that dude is going to be good. I'm glad that you're on the bandwagon with me. I expected to be out here on the front lines alone, but I am a Trey Young believer. Well, and by the way, I, I am also a sucker for every overly cruel comparison that people throw out on Twitter. So I did enjoy rich man's Aaron Brooks. That's a great, (laughs) great job hating on him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, you know, you're saying, am I on the bandwagon? I'm not sure I'm all the way in on Trey Young. I just think that he's a lot better than the sort of consensus was a few days ago. Yeah. And he's got some real upside. I also think the most interesting part about him though is the fact that he was traded for Doncic because that winds up becoming like the ultimate... Like, make or break trade. Like, if you're Schlenk and Doncic becomes a superstar and Trey's just good, like, you're going to be that guy your entire career. Nobody else knows you for anything else. That is your signature move. If Trey winds up becoming the next Steve Nash with, you know, a little bit quicker of a trigger, you know, you're minted for life, right? I mean, you're riding Trey Young for the next 9, 10 years. So, I don't think we maybe talked quite enough about the level of uh, you know guts, uh, to, to put it mildly, it took for them to make that deal on draft night. I think we probably should have played that up more than we did.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also going to be really interesting over the next couple of years. Those two teams, because look, Atlanta got an extra top 10 pick. The Mavs are not going to be good and will probably be in the second half of the top 10 this year because they're going to be trying to win, but they may not be that effective. And so One of the next two years, Atlanta is getting another top 10 pick from the Mavs. And it's going to be really interesting to watch those teams go about rebuilding on kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum. Like the Hawks seem to be engaging in their own quiet Atlanta. No one talks about the Hawks version of the process. And uh, like they're just stockpiling picks wherever they can find them. And probably don't intend to be good for another two or three years. And Trey Young will help there because it's going to take him a while to get acclimated. Um, whereas the Mavs, like you listen to them talk, and it, they talk as if they're going to be pushing for the playoffs this year. Rick Carlisle, it's, it's well established that he is allergic to like long term thinking and tanking. And uh, I don't know. I'm not as bullish. On where the Mavs will be in five years, as opposed to where the Hawks will be in five years, but it—I mean, it's totally fair to take the opposite stance.
1: Yeah, I think the argument for the opposite would be a lot easier to make if Luca had played here this week, and that is my biggest regret. I mean, there's a lot of things you can regret uh, you know, during a two-week stay in Vegas, <laughs> Need- <laughs> needless to say. But my biggest regret is that Luca's not playing because I think that would have been potentially like everything that we're saying about Trey Young, Wendell Carter, Kevin Knox. I mean, all these guys are just like blowing hope into the sales of fan bases, right? Like Luca probably yeah. would have been doing the exact same thing. And unfortunately, we just have the absence of that information.
0: Yeah, but he's going to have to be really good to to make it worthwhile to just, like, basically bottom out for a year. I guess they have Dennis Smith Jr. also. I don't know. It's it's going to be an uphill battle for the Mavs, though. I don't see, like, a clear path because I, I don't envision them signing anybody next summer. I mean, maybe they try to max out a guy like Chris Middleton or something, but, like— I, it's it's not clear to me what direction they're trying to go.
1: Um, can I can I throw out one last stray Trey Young take, um, which is hit me. Uh, I don't know if you saw my Instagram or my Twitter, but I did happen to capture a very real, recognized real moment between uh, <laughs> Trey Young and Floyd Mayweather Jr. and. I think it could be a red flag that Trey Young is the first NBA player not to tower over Floyd Mayweather Jr. I mean they're practically <laughs> they're they're practically seeing eye to eye and if you look at the photo it does appear like Floyd Mayweather may have lifts in his sneakers like it, it looks like he's yeah. almost wearing heels like full length heels um nevertheless very similar body types and uh, and and height, so that could be a concern. We probably should
0: potential red flag. <laughs> I thank you for bringing that to light. Um, yeah, Floyd also like, I, I mean, it's cool to like sports, but he shows up at certain things where I'm like, what are you doing with your life, man? <laughs> like, he showed up at like a Wizards Hawks game in like January a couple years ago. I mean, and hanging out at Summer League. Granted, he lives in Vegas, but like. I certainly hope he's not gambling on those games at least. Well, I,
1: I can exclusively report he was checking the scoreboard after basically every <laughs> every <laughs> oh basket. God. So I would not be surprised if there was some sort of a wager down. I can't tell you if he had the betting slip handy or whatever. I mean, his watch and his chain, Andrew, I think are more than the GDP of most nations. I mean, his watch, yeah. you could see his watch from 300 yards away. You didn't even need glasses. I mean, it was so shiny. Uh, so I'm not sure he's going to care if he loses, you know, like Trey Young pulls off a comeback and he, you know, he drops 20K or whatever. I think he's going to, he's going to be all right on that. Uh, <laughs> he's set. But sure. I, I, That's fair. I, I did think there was some live betting going on. I'll say that. I have my suspicions.
0: Well, the other thing that I would add is I've sat behind him. When I was in LA, I would go to Clippers games and uh, more Clippers games because the Lakers were awful at that point. And again, every time I went, Floyd Mayweather would be there and he would like, plant his gigantic bodyguards in front of my media seats were which were in the like the lower level in the corner and they were honestly god like i've been around nfl players i've been around a bunch of basketball players the floyd mayweather's bodyguards are the biggest humans i've ever seen in person uh um, oh, come on Andrew. so in addition to the watches and the chains he has like the largest humans on earth rolling with it what
1: else do you expect from the money team okay come on
0: I guess. I mean, he's a pretty tacky, horrible person, but... um, He does
1: have the... I I can can, confirm he still has the same bodyguards. They're still gigantic, and he brought, I think, four... Yeah, isn't
0: it ridiculous? I think he
1: brought four of them to Summer League, and they were doing a pretty good job of keeping people away, even though it didn't seem like he was, you know, bothered by the crowds. He was posing for photos and, you know, dapping up Trey Young and, you know, doing what celebrities do. I will say, though, (laughs) I was more excited to see Giannis courtside than to watch, uh, you know, Floyd Mayweather, because while Giannis doesn't really carry himself with quite the level of bling, he was genuinely reacting to his brother's play, just like any other brother would. And Kostas uh, somehow managed to, to cross somebody to the floor. And Kostas, for people who don't oh, wow. know, like Kostas <laughs> is not the most skilled player. He's sort of the tag-along younger brother who got brought to the, you know, the tournaments because Giannis was good or whatever. And, you know, he's he's trying to have a basketball career, but there was a reason why he's a second-round pick, right? Uh, yeah. Somehow he winds up getting a guy at the top of the key to just to fall over. And Giannis just, like, sprang out of his chair, was, like, whooping, hooping, and hollering just like any other fan would. And it was just kind of cool. I mean, the Giannis Inc. board members, I thought, would appreciate that color. You know, <laughs> the, the, bro, yeah. the bros were out in full force.
0: Well, I'm very excited. At some point later in the year, I think in the next couple months, we're going to get the unveiling of Giannis's signature shoe with Nike. That's going to be a big moment for the podcast. I don't know if you have people at Nike you could talk to to maybe get us like a sneak peek or at least some free Giannis kicks. Andrew, uh, uh, we're <laughs>
1: taping right now. You're begging on air. You know that, right? <laughs>
0: Anyone out there who's listening, uh, I also think at some point we need to have a longer conversation about the Bucs because I'm beginning to really get excited about what's possible for them. I think Coach Bud is going to make a big difference, and this is going to be the year that Giannis like turns into a a full-blown ass kicker in the East, and I'm very excited for that.
1: Well, here's the thing. The more I've thought about it, the more I'm mad they didn't sign either or both of his brothers because... Imagine if Anthony Davis had a younger brother, Andrew, how bad would Anthony Davis's younger brother have to be at basketball for the Pelicans to not sign him, right? Like, (laughs) like, really, like if he had two working legs and two working arms, you would sign him right under any circumstances, you just give him that 15th roster spot. You're now here on the team. Uh, You're part of the squad. We're trying to keep you happy. We want to make sure you stay in New Orleans long term you would definitely do that. Like, I don't know if you saw the report today, like four yeah. of Cleveland's trainers are leaving the Cavaliers to like, you know, go their separate ways because LeBron's uh, left. I mean, Cleveland had all of his buddies on the payroll <laughs> know, they, at every totally. level of the organization. People affiliated with LeBron were there and we can't even get the Bucks to sign Giannis's blood brother. You
0: know what, Come though? On. I, think, I think that speaks to just how handcuffed they really are by like, horrible decisions of the past three or four years. I mean, they've got a lot of guys on that roster that would qualify as dead weight. And so it's hard to, I mean, I don't know, like uh, John Henson, what do you do there? Like, I guess they could just like stretch half the roster and bring in Giannis's crew. That's probably better than what they have now. But um, oh, isn't that, I hear you, but okay? <laughs> I'm just setting this
1: up to say, like, one, I mean, I really would do this. I'm being serious. But two...
0: I'm completely sold on Giannis's younger brother being, like, the the key to the 2021 free agency sweepstakes. But
1: two, it's just one more way that LeBron has owned the game, right? Like, he really is playing sure. on a different level than all these other stars, right? I mean, it's one thing to have, like, you know, your family member, okay, they can come into the locker room after the game. That's cool, right? It's another to have, like, 10 guys on the team payroll,
0: Okay, flip side of that, that's probably really annoying to be around as a teammate, and so I'm glad that Giannis isn't there yet. Maybe that's the next step in his evolution as a superstar, but LeBron's probably pretty unbearable. Flip
1: side, playing for the Milwaukee Bucks without Giannis would be more annoying. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Keep keep him happy, that's what I'm saying. All
0: right, I hear you. Um, An extension of my Trey Young thoughts here... We have a follow-up from last podcast. Taylor says, Ben, how did you not call out Sharp for saying he'd take Lowry, Markkinen, Jason Tatum, and Jonathan Isaac over Mitchell in a redraft? That's Donovan Mitchell. Um, I should clarify, Taylor, that when I said I would go Lowry, Tatum, Isaac in a redraft of last year's draft, it was a heat of the moment uh response because I was being this came like halfway through the season and Ben you probably don't even remember this but you were teasing me about my Jonathan Isaac loyalty and this this was right after Isaac had like invited the entire Magic team to hear him preach and no one on the team showed up to listen to him and so it doesn't speak well of like how commanding his presence is in Orlando. Maybe it's just speaks poorly of like his shitty magic teammates, but either way I was under duress and uh, reacted violently by saying I would still take Isaac top three and I forgot about Donovan Mitchell. So I'm not sticking to Isaac over Donovan Mitchell.
1: Okay. Well, I just want to, Reply to Taylor because he addressed this question to me. Taylor, I've been I've been accused of being a bully recently, and that always hurts. That always cuts deep. And sometimes when Sharp is just obviously flagrantly wrong, I just let it sit because I know. Number one, I know the Open Floor Globe will come through with the fact checks and try to keep him honest. But number two, when he corrects himself in grease pig fashion, or when he takes that Ferris wheel, the human Ferris wheel, you know, takes gets off at the next stop. He's always much happier when he comes to the right conclusion by himself. And it's not a begrudging thing where he has to admit that I was right. So on some of these really, truly wild ones, I just let him flow. I figure, you know, eventually he's going to come out correct. You know, it might just be a matter of time.
0: Yeah. You know what? Allowing the other party to be flagrantly wrong every now and then is is a key to a happy marriage. Uh, I appreciate that. The other thing, Ben, I thinking, thinking this through... The one thing that's going to be really interesting to watch over the next couple years, I do feel like Jason Tatum is a little bit overrated right now, and we have to balance out the podcast after we said all those nice things about the Celtics at the top. I do think that tracking Tatum's value versus Donovan Mitchell's value over the next five to ten years is going to be pretty interesting.
1: Okay, stop right there, Andrew, because we have reached a very important part of the podcast It is the Andrew Sharp reports part of the podcast where all bets are off. (laughs) You can be 100% honest. No one can. Stop stop doing this. No, this is a good bit, and you're going to go along with it this time. You're you're not going to hold back. You're not going to pull any punches. You're going to get straight to the point. Now, just a second ago, you said uh, Jason Tatum is a little bit overrated. Can you please expound on why he's overrated and what we should look for from the next two to three years from him because he's overrated?
0: I just don't think that he's going to be like a top 10 guy. And people talk about Jason Tatum as if he's going to be a top 10 player in the NBA and like a Durant level, like MVP candidate. And, and I think like he'll probably make a handful of all-star games, but is not going to be any better than that. And if I were Boston, like Kawhi is a bad example because he is so there's so much shit going around with him right now. And like, there's so many risks and it doesn't make sense for Boston right now. But like the idea that Tatum could potentially hold up a Anthony Davis trade is psychotic to me. Like I would put Jason Tatum in a Pelicans trade in a heartbeat and, uh, and i don't know if that is like a controversial stance or not because i li- i listen and read boston people talk about tatum and it does sound like they kind of look at him as like a cornerstone to the next decade i don't know if he's on that level that's all i'm saying
1: okay so he's overrated he's got no ceiling and he should be traded i love it andrew sharp reports <laughs> you came through this time andrew i really like it i'm with you actually no it's just how i feel i hear you a real serious question though who do you think is more
0: important for them next year Gordon Hayward or Jason Tatum? Um, For them to hit their ceiling, I think it would be Tatum. And Tatum, if he really does take a couple steps forward next year and becomes like a a 20-point-a-game scorer uh, who's reliably there every single night, which he wasn't this season, but if he can do that, then that gives them kind of like a third star alongside Hayward, who I'm kind of looking at as more of a known quantity who's going to come in and be awesome and not be awesome enough to like counter a guy like KD, but he's gonna be really good and keep them at like a sixty win pace all year.
1: Okay, let me rephrase. Who do you think is gonna make the all star team or like the all NBA team? Would would it be Hayward or Tatum or
0: both? Uh Hayward. Okay. Hayward would be my pick. I think he's he's gonna have like an obscenely good year next year. And then When we do this podcast next July, we will talk about how Hayward is now overrated because Celtics Nation will be talking about him as like a top seven guy.
1: Yeah, that's going to be the worst part of the conference imbalance that we mentioned earlier is the great inflation that we have to apply to all these Celtics guys. It's going to be just... <laughs> they really
0: could have like five All-Stars next That's year. That's why we got to pray um, that they
1: change the All-Star format and just take the best 24 guys overall regardless of conference because otherwise there's going to be like nine Celtics on the Eastern Conference All-Star team. And it's going to yeah. be so bad.
0: <laughs> that would be my thing. I, we, we can like completely revamp the All-Star format. We don't need to upend the playoffs just yet, but... We'll see. Sticking with Utah, Stavros says, is Grayson Allen the new Christian Laettner? Please discuss. And then Morgan says, hey guys, as I'm sending you this, Jabari Parker is still unsigned. Don't you think the Jazz should take a swing? Um, I'll start with Grayson Allen. He's another guy that I like, kind of secretly like, and I've already praised the Celtics enough on this podcast. I feel even Worse, praising Grayson Allen as a lifelong Carolina fan, but I do think he's going to be pretty valuable and was a good steal for the Jazz. Your
1: Tar Heel card is pulled officially. I mean, we we had it's someone bad. like a I... month ago who <laughs> called you out for liking every single Duke player. It was like Ingram and right down the list.
0: Oh God, and, you're right. And now
1: you're throwing Grayson <laughs> Allen on top of that. Yeah, you're you are I don't no like longer him. allowed. I
0: just he's objectively going to be helpful. And by the way, we had somebody else call me out for ignoring Justin Jackson and his role in like the Kings' future. I did that out of love for Justin Jackson mm. because I think that he had a very shaky year in Sacramento last season, and I was not trying to draw attention to it, but I'm still hopeful for him. Hopefully he can bounce back in year two.
1: Well, the color wheel called, and they have revoked your privileges for baby blue, so you're out there. <laughs> I also think like Grayson Allen, to me, He's sort of like meta nuclear war. I mean, I think if there's anyone who is the most likely to start a legit fight in the NBA next year, <laughs> like a fight that, and again, I don't, you know me, Andrew, peace loving man, you know, West Coast guy. Yeah, I don't like to see real punches thrown. If there's a fight next year, I would bet like a real fight. I would bet that he is the one. Who launched it? And he will be smirking in the back, assuming he doesn't wind up on the wrong end of a haymaker. He will be smirking in the back once it's all over, uh, you know, with bodies like strewn everywhere. Um, So I think that the comparison uh, to Leitner, there's elements of that, but I also think that there's uh, just an ability to take things too far to not just be sort of like when I view Leitner, it's just he's like annoying as a concept. Uh, I view yeah. uh Grayson much more in that meta world peace category of just like constant irritant to the point that like eventually he just makes you snap no matter what.
0: Right. it, it is more tangible with him and it's almost compulsive like I have to uh, like cuz he got into it with Trey Young at the start of things and I I I wonder whether he's doing it consciously or not because he does he's like a habitual line stepper. And it's really a bad look. And I I mean, well, Andrew, there,
1: sure. there's those people who make you question like how your self-awareness works, because they're so unself aware. You know, it's like the people who yeah. are like super duper loud talkers, like you go to the movie theater, and someone's just like screaming when they think they're whispering. And it's like, how do you not realize that you're doing that? I think that's how Grace and Alan is towards like, on-court conflicts like I think he he only (laughs) I I do too he only knows that way right so like our version or like an outsider's version of self-awareness doesn't apply it doesn't matter if it's conscious or unconscious because for him it's just him
0: yeah it's it's not great what about Jabari I I don't really have passionate thoughts one way or the other on Jabari I do think that the Jazz makes sense as a as a good team that would be able to hide some of what he doesn't do well but I just have no sense of like what kind of money he's looking for, what's realistically out there for him. And so all of it kind of depends on the price and, and what he wants next season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he would be uh, an interesting fit because like he doesn't play defense like everyone on else on that roster plays defense, right? But yeah. he brings a level of potency offensively that they don't necessarily they have need. in those spots. So it would give them a little bit more two-way balance in a way, you know, like just a little bit more right. pop and a little bit less off Donovan Mitchell's shoulders. So I could see that. Um, but I would not be committing to him for long-term or big money. And I, I also wonder whether we've forgotten to mention him when we talk about guys like Nerlin's Noel and some of these other guys who have cost them some money. Like, wasn't there some reports that he had some fairly long
0: offers on the table? Like at some point, he definitely did. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like this, The stuff that he has turned down suggests that he really views himself as, like, a $80 million, like, a Zach Levine-level free agent. And I, I, like... I can't imagine anything close to, to that is out there for him. And so I don't really know what his next move
1: Man, is. Man, I just threw up in my throat when you said a Zach Levine-level free agent. <laughs> and, and I remembered yeah. what that Zach Levine-level is referring to. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I saw a, across the ticker today, I was eating lunch, and the TV show had the little banner at the bottom, and it said, who got the better end of the deal, the Bulls or Zach Levine? I just wanted to walk out of the restaurant. It's like, come on, who who got the better end of the deal? Are you kidding me? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, hats off to Zach Levine's agent. He definitely won the summer. There's no question about that. That's like, Um, who
1: got the better end of the deal at the Treaty of Versailles?
0: You know, it's like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) God. Oh, all right. Uh, I have another double question for you here. The first is from Creed, who, to circle back to Adam Silver, Creed says... We all already know beyond a shadow of a doubt here in July that the Warriors will be the NBA champions this year. So do you think the NBA should have stepped in at any point in this process, i.e. stopping the KD signing or stopping the Boogie signing, just to make the league more entertaining? Secondly, though, uh, from Raj, he says... The argument that players messed up the league by not agreeing to smooth the cap is some really bad Monday morning quarterbacking. There was an opt-out of the CBA for both sides in December 16. That was looming over all of the talks that they had surrounding cap smoothing. By taking all the money for free agents in summer 2016, while clearly unevenly distributing it, the players ensured that there would be no lockout in which future money in the following summers would be imperiled. Saying not taking the smoothing solely messed up the competitive balance is true only if we assume that a group of billionaires who had locked out the players five years before would have otherwise negotiated 100% in good faith. Um, that's really complicated. It probably doesn't make for good radio to talk about this stuff. But I do think that like as we have talked about the cap smoothing, the one point that gets lost consistently is that so much of this is on the league. I think that they didn't push hard enough. And then additionally, I think that Michelle Roberts at the time acted in like as rationally as could be expected. And and I think Raj's point is a really good one that like if the league wasn't offering extra incentives to smooth the cap, which is what they should have been doing. But if that wasn't happening and if there weren't kind of guarantees being made about what the CBA would look like after subsequent negotiations and basically if if there was no insurance policy, then like, of course, Michelle Roberts should have told them to F off. And uh, and uh, that's what happened. And so to me, I don't think it was the worst thing in the world.
1: Yeah, I think the the main takeaway, though, is because they negotiated the new deal and it was a fairly long deal after the summer of 2016 everybody who's whining now has to look in the mirror first like if those owners the rival owners are upset and they're expecting Adam to take action you guys signed off on this deal like you could have pushed harder for a hard cap you could have gone to the lockout you could have said oh we don't like how much money we're making we want to have a better shot at competitive balance and ultimately the owners had to make a choice do you keep the trains running and make lots and lots of money and everything's good? Or do you hit pause on the whole thing and restructure it so that the Warriors can't exist, right? And there was an alternate universe where enough owners were angry about the KD signing that they go into that following summer and freak out and just say, look, we're not doing it. You know, we're, we're not going to breach an early deal. We have to have a hard cap or, you know, a hard enough cap where you just can't have four superstars on any one team and, and go that direction. And the way that deal came together so quickly and with, without very much public drama at all, it stood in stark contrast to the previous negotiations, which dragged forever and had lots of back and forth between uh, David Stern and the other side. And it got really, really ugly. They almost canceled the season. People were really, really panicking. You know, the players had to rush back after the lockout. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of. Uh, Position points in between where this one came out and where that the most uh, previous one before that came out, and to me that's why the owners all kind of have blood on their hands. You guys were all cool with Kevin Durant going to Golden State. You showed it by your actions and taking the money. So you guys need to chill. And I guess to answer you know Creed's question, I don't think anybody should have stepped in. They were playing by the rules, uh, and I think Adam Silver, after being angry about it two years ago, as I mentioned earlier, seems to have come around to that position, which is. Well, Golden yeah, State's doing I, it the right way, so more power to them.
0: I just think that Silver should have been more proactive in 2014 and 2015, anticipating how disruptive that cap spike was going to be and and basically putting the players' union in a room and saying, we are not leaving until this deal gets done and to, until we agree to smooth the cap. We're willing to work with you on some guarantees on the back end to make you guys comfortable but this is essential to like the competitive landscape and we need to make this work. And I don't think that's a role that suits him as well as it did David Stern. And I think, so to me, like obviously Michelle Roberts has taken all kinds of heat, but I, I think it's the blame is shared and both of them acted kind of pretty reasonably in the moment, but like it's pretty clear that this hasn't worked out for really anyone but the Warriors because no, the pl- a bunch of players have gotten screwed too. I've
1: heard a lot of people. Adam Silver hardly ever gets criticism, but this summer, especially here in Las Vegas, the criticism has been he's so careful. He's deliberate to a fault. He, they're making money, and so that is causing him to sort of retreat from the big bold ideas, right? Like he doesn't want to mm-hmm. like go and you know do some crazy reworking of the salary cap because things are going well. Uh, he doesn't view that the league is in a crisis, so he is just going to like you know continue to make very minor changes here and there around the edges. He is not that stern like personality who is going to like you know own a boardroom and like shove something down your throat and you know try to win every negotiation. It's just not really his style, and I think having that type of approach has served him really well in certain circumstances. But I think what you're pointing out here is sometimes there's a, you know, it's not always perfect. Basically, you know, that that, that could be a shortcoming as well as a strength.
0: And I would say if he has a weakness, it's that he really enjoys being the most popular commissioner in sports. And he doesn't like being the bad guy. And occasionally he's going to have to be a bad guy, but at the same time, I mostly agree with the approach that he's taking. And I don't think that we need dramatic changes to the, to the league or the cap system. I I, like, I think a hard cap would come with its own set of unintended consequences that everybody complains about. And so I really do think that like, we're a year or two out from Katie leaving and everything kind of looking normal and, and getting really entertaining and awesome. Uh, But in the meantime, if, if we're assessing blame, there's been too much focus on Michelle Roberts and not enough on Silver, but I'm I'm glad to hear that that conversation seems to be happening in Vegas.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really on you to make Adam Silver the bad guy here. I mean, you're the one who feels aggrieved, <laughs> no, you? No,
0: I'm not. I'm pro Silver in general. I really like him. I like everyone I've dealt with at the NBA is awesome. I'm just saying <laughs> that, that this was a two-way street and everybody screwed up on the cap smoothing side. But continuing on here, uh, Ricky says, um, with LeBron now on the Lakers, do you guys envision Luke Walton getting fired at some point in the same way that David Blatt did, or perhaps being a scapegoat for a team underperforming their expectations? What do you think, Ben? What do you think of Luke's role in all of this and and just a general check-in with your feelings on LeBron right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the two toughest jobs in the league for coaches, it's going to be Washington and it's going to be the Lakers, you know, pray for Scott Brooks. I mean, that's a nightmare collection of personalities to try to have to (laughs) mold together on the fly. And I think as much attention as there's been on like the new type of LeBron teammate, this idea that they're going to be two way tough minded playmakers who are going to save them. Another way to, you know, phrase that, would be that they're just veteran cast-offs that nobody else wanted and they were willing to take a one-year deal and all of them have huge personalities and large variants from what they look like when they're playing their best to what they look like when they're playing their worst. And that's the toughest thing for a coach. Do you really trust Rondo? Do you really trust Lance Stevenson? Do you really trust JaVale McGee? And if you're Luke Walton, you have no choice. You have to trust those guys. You're going to be playing those guys. And I think on top of it, I'm pretty excited about this idea of Ingram, uh, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart, who, you know, Hart's arguably been the best player here in Las Vegas. I mean, he's too good to be playing here. Um, I think he's going to be able to give them lots of real minutes and then throw on top of that Kuzma as well. Those are four young guys that absolutely are primed to be taking, you know, steps forward in terms of their uh, usefulness. And they're going to benefit from playing with LeBron and having him, you know, set them up. I think all of those guys can directly benefit But now as Uh a coach, you're trying to weigh the veteran side of your roster versus the young side of your roster while being under the gun to win games immediately. I don't see him getting fired, but I do see the Luke that we've come to know, the jovial guy, the surfer buddy, everyone's friend. Hey, (laughs) bros. That guy, Andrew, I give him until Thanksgiving. And then I think we're going to see a stressed out Luke Walton. The hair is going to start to thin a little bit. Uh, you know, the tan is probably going to be replaced by that kind of like you know glowing white uh, look that you get when you watch too much synergy game tape at 3 a.m. in the morning. I think we're going to start yeah. to see some of those transitions from Luke in year one.
0: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting with with the Luke Walton side of this because he's one of those guys. First of all, he's. Definitely the coach I would most like to, like, hang out with for a weekend. His life seems awesome. He lives out in Manhattan Beach. He's just doing his thing. Luke Walden seems like he's kind of one at life, so good for him. He also, though, seems like one of those guys who is either much smarter than he seems or is actually even dumber than he looks, and there's not really any in between. And I feel like we're going to find out which direction this goes, like, pretty quickly. Um so there's that to consider and I, it's one of like eight reasons to be excited about watching this Lakers shit show next year. Um hey,
1: Can I throw in one Lakers thing here real quick and I'll get back on the Luke? Uh yeah. keep an eye on Lonzo's knee. Uh the the official stances from the Lakers have been very cryptic. The chatter behind the scenes hasn't been great. Nothing that I can really report, but I just think yeah. keep an eye on his knee and You know, that could wind up being something that, you know, I think all the assumptions right now is that that's going to be resolved in time for training camp. And let's just see how that plays out. Now, one (laughs) dude,
0: I hold on, hold on. I am loving Vegas Golliver right now. You're just peppering the podcast with like kind of vague inferences throughout. Going back to Kawhi, then we had Silver. Now we have Lonzo. I love Insider Ben out there in Vegas. Look,
1: I sprinkle breadcrumbs during this season too. I just have more time to kind of like <laughs> compose my takes, and I, you know, I make them seem like they're more my opinion. That's why I'm always. Yeah. That's why I'm always right, Andrew. But uh, here's what I say <laughs> <laughs> uh, about Luke as well. Players love him. Players legitimately do love him. But the most important yeah. person who loves him is Genie Bus and I think. Genie and Magic, there was a lot of uh, built-up credibility in those relationships because Luke took that job when he didn't have to, right? Like, he took it from Golden State's basically, like their major lead assistant. He's getting all this attention. He joined the Lakers at a really rough time for them, and he is viewed as like Captain Laker, Laker for life, right? So I think if I'm LeBron, when I go to Cleveland and I realize very quickly that David Blatt doesn't really know how the NBA works... Of course, he went and looked at Ty Lu and thought, okay, this is a guy who gets it. Here's a guy who I can communicate with. And of course, he thought, okay, eventually, I'm going to be able to throw uh, David Blatt under the bus. This is going to be no problem. It's just going to be a matter of time, right? Like that played out pretty much as a lot of people expected. I don't think that you can go to Magic and Genie in December if you're LeBron and say, hey, we got to blow up Luke Walton and bring in somebody else. Because first of all, who else exactly are you going to get? And second of all, they really like him, and he's earned a lot of equity there. So I actually think if they struggle, most of the criticism will fall on the veteran guys they signed and then the front office for that being that being their best plan, right? Like, why didn't you get Paul George? Yeah. How come you haven't traded for Kawhi? Why didn't you have a better trade lined up after we signed LeBron? Why is he here all by himself? I think that's a more likely storyline than... LeBron hates Luke. He doesn't trust him. Luke's got to go. He's the problem. You know, even LeVar called him out last year. Like, I, I don't think that that uh, angle is going to gain as much traction as the as the veteran player side of it.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, I I agree with everything you said. the The only other thing that I would add is thinking through the Luke side of this and just reading the Lakers coverage. This is all just so bizarre and it's been really strange to watch everybody because Luke Walton was like a source in uh, uh, Ramona's big piece earlier this week and and he's kind of one of the few people who's out there actually talking about what this is going to look like next year. And it's just been really strange to watch everybody try to keep a straight face and talk about this move when – like. I think that there's just a lot out there that we don't know and we're kind of waiting for a couple different shoes to drop and we we need to hear from LeBron. And in the meantime, I think everybody should just be, well, no, the Lakers can't be honest, but like everyone in the media should be more honest about how strange and kind of stupid this is. Like the idea that LeBron is going out there with like Lonzo and Lance Stevenson and JaVale next year and we're all supposed to take it seriously, is completely insane. And in that respect, I have come around to some of what you were saying on the LeBron podcast, The that fateful afternoon hey, hey, hey. that Here really we go a lot of listeners so off. So wait,
1: are, does that mean the listeners are going to retract the death threats now that you're agreeing with me, or how does that work?
0: <laughs> well, here's here's what I would say, is I I kind of think that we are both right, because I think that right now... LeBron is probably looking at this as a situation that is just bigger than basketball. He is seeing all the moves on the chessboard, and he is excited to get out there and do a dozen different things off the court, and that this is kind of a lifestyle move and an empire-building move. And I think that he's going to get a couple weeks into the season, and he is like more pathologically competitive than I think maybe even he realizes at this point. And he's going to get out there and start to like freak out. <laughs> Life, life's
1: going to come at him fast.
0: I, I really think that's what's going to happen because he's not Shaq. He's not the dude that's content to just like star in movies and hang out with celebrities and chill through the like the final chapters of his career. I think that LeBron is not wired that way. And it's going to get really weird. And even now... It's it's kind of hilarious that everybody is like just talking about this as if we have to take this whole Lakers chapter seriously thus far because right now like nobody should.
1: Yeah, well, I think that was sort of my point when I was you know taking all the heat from people, but I agree with a lot of what you said. Two quick things on LeBron. First of all, in the like post signing story coverage, the thing that bothered me the most was this idea of like this fateful meeting with Magic Johnson, the amazing recruiting Magic Johnson. Like, Andrew, this is a guy who's trying to become a billionaire. He's got multiple houses in LA. The rumors have been out there for 13 months. Going back to Cleveland would have been unbelievably depressing. He didn't even necessarily want to meet with anyone else. Only Rich met with uh, the Sixers. And we're supposed to believe that, like, this— conversation sealed the deal and it was like such a big deal. Like the guy didn't even take out his headphones when he was signing his contract with the Lakers, Andrew, he had his headphones. (laughs) Why are we?
0: Meanwhile, meanwhile, there's this breathless accounting of like every stage of this on the Lakers side. And I mean, come on. Like I, I have been there every step of the way saying the Lakers did a great job planning for this. And look, there's no way LeBron goes out there and signs if, They still have Mozgov and Jordan Clarkson on the roster and don't have the room to get anybody else. Like, that's not happening. But we don't need to overdo it on the other end of the spectrum. And I I still think this is going to be a big-time risk on the basketball side for LeBron with a lot of downside and some fascinating upside but uh, the last couple weeks of media stuff has just been really weird. It
1: really has been over the top. And here's my last point on LeBron. And I think I might've mentioned this in passing, but I really want to encourage everyone to do this. So, you know, I'm a reality-based person, Andrew, but I want you to consider an alternate reality in which LeBron had pulled the Paul George and he had re-signed instantly in Cleveland, right? So like July 1, boom, I'm back. Cleveland, we're so excited, right? And now it's like all eyes turn to Kobe Altman, What are your follow-up moves going to be for LeBron? And what Kobe Altman is able to come up with is one year deals for Lance Stevenson, Rajon Rondo, and JaVale McGee. And that's the summer, right? And he like drops those moves on the Cleveland Cavaliers roster within like the next 48 hours, July 2nd, July 3rd, and then they're just done. And then by the way, you know, they'd have to lose a couple other pieces in this scenario to kind of go along with the the Randall loss and and the Brook Lopez loss, right? What do you think the coverage of Kobe Altman would be like in that scenario? If that had been how this summer would have played out, people would have lost their minds. Andrew, they would have been demanding for him to be fired
0: immediately. But it's not even about the coverage itself, because I also think that if Kobe Altman made those moves, he would step to the podium and be like, yeah, we looked at the landscape. There weren't any perfect <laughs> moves out there, and we're just betting on Lance and and hoping for the best. And we'll see how it goes. We're, he wouldn't be out there. We're praying to God. Horn,
1: <laughs> yeah, we're. Pre- whereas,
0: like, you listen to Rob Palenka, and look, I'm sure I would like Rob Palenka, but it's honest to God, it's it's like listening to some kind of like religious zealot, like where I'm just like, what reality are you? working with man (laughs) like he compared Lance Stevenson to Dennis Rodman and I just and then you factor in the like breathless 5,000 word profiles that are released on a daily basis about this Lakers shit and I just can't deal with it all it's all I mean it is so strange I wonder if this is going to be a pace that we keep up for the next four years because it's just we're already so far off the deep end.
1: Yeah, Bogdan Palinka coming out and saying that Lebron <laughs> <Totally. laughs> Lebron signing with the Lakers was validation of everything that they had been doing when he would and when Lebron wouldn't even take his headphones out for, to pose for the photo was uh, just sort of like peak uh, Lakers self congratulation. But all this being said, I am still very excited for this group, and I'll say this too, Andrew. Summer league has made me more excited. Josh Hart is killing just killing. He looks really, really good. And I think he's going to play a much bigger role than most people expect right now. Um, I think yeah. when you're looking at guys who are three and D type players, that's Josh Hart. You know, if you want to, uh, surround LeBron with the types of guys he's used to the types of guys, he's proven he can make elite offenses with that's Josh Hart. And so, um, you know, I'm not, okay. It sounds like I'm voting for, it for the all-star team. I'm not going that far, but I do think that like, if I was a Lakers fan, my buzz wouldn't even be ruined, uh, you know, by those other moves because one, for sure, LeBron's like win for them. LeBron's parachuted in to save your life. But then two, there's some real promise with these young guys, and they should get a lot better. I agree, and they should be much more fun to watch in a LeBron context.
0: I agree. The Lakers, in a strictly a basketball context, it's an, an obvious, like, massive win some something that they'll remember for a long time and once they all get on the court I think it could it could go a lot of different directions but it could work really well because some of these young guys are already kind of in that spot where they're ready to take the next step and LeBron is like the perfect guy to allow that to happen and kind of accelerate things it's more the conversation that I'm talking about I'm not super down on the Lakers um but it's the, the conversation and like the weird glow that like Lakers executives have when they talk about the last couple weeks of roster moves. Cause I just don't get it. But, um, but Hey, you know what? You do have a Vegas all summer league vote. So don't downplay your all-star hype for Josh Hart. Okay. You can vote Josh Hart. You can vote Trey young. And that's what we have to look forward to next week. We're going to talk, more about Vegas. Um, we did not get to talk about the Wizards and the Sixers, both of whom we need to follow up on after the last few weeks. Hey, Andrew, and, before, uh,
1: before we go real quick, I do. can we throw in uh, just a couple of minutes on Devin Booker here? Because we didn't get on, to talk about his extension on the last podcast. And frankly, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, you're talking about like five year, what, like 158? I mean, that's a ton of money for a Devin Booker. And there wasn't really a negotiation, right? It gets done so early. They just basically give him every dollar that he can get. He obviously seemed very, very happy about that, as you would expect any guy in that situation to be. I'm just curious. When I saw that deal, my takeaway was that it said more about the Suns than it said about Booker because even if you believe Booker is a star, you know he hasn't necessarily proven it yet. Uh, he hasn't shown meaningful improvement on defense uh, he hasn't had his individual offensive success kind of translate to team success. And he hasn't been in a structured environment where, you know, he's, he's just taking every shot that he wants to take and he's getting every opportunity to score the ball that he wants. Right. And I think yeah. if Phoenix had been uh, in a better place or a healthier place, I think that this negotiation might not have ended where it did. That doesn't mean they overpay. doesn't mean I think it was a bad idea. I think that they were forced to do it. It was kind of a formality. But I think it said more about their struggles keeping stars happy in the past, their lack of other young talent and kind of being able to develop it. You know, guys like Bender and Chris and Alex Len have all just kind of been, you know, treading in water and and Booker's been their one shining bright light here. Uh, And then also they really badly needed an identity because their identity has been getting mocked by us for the last three years, right? And Booker provides them that as sort of like that franchise temple player. So I just thought when I looked at that deal, I thought, you know, congratulations to Booker. But to me, it said more about the Suns than it did about him.
0: Look at this, man. I hope our listeners out there appreciate how locked in Vegas Gulliver is he just needed to get in an extra two minutes on Devin Booker's contract extension uh I agree with most of what you said I just think Booker's completely awesome um and and certainly is is as good a, a star level player as Phoenix is going to be able to sign so it's not like there's that much opportunity cost and if you're if you're Phoenix pay him whatever you can um but with that Ben I need to hit the road here to go meet some people. Uh, and for now... <laughs> Wait, meet,
1: what are you doing? Like child trafficking or drug dealing? No. Or what are you
0: doing? <laughs> Look, that sounded much sketchier than it actually is. But listen, I will talk to you next week. Next week, we're switching to one podcast a week, full off-season mode, but we are not going away as I, I I went off the grid for like a month last summer. I'll be here all summer. We'll continue to take your questions it should be fun. And look, we're going to get Ben at the tail end of like 14 days in Vegas next week. So look forward to that as well.
1: Yeah, it should be total delirium. So programming note, one episode per week. It will drop Tuesdays. Uh, you know, I have a, a, uh, an idea or a concept, Andrew, that they're probably going to be nice, chunky, long episodes because we're going to have so much to talk about it when we don't, uh, you know, speak twice a week. So look forward to that. Um, they will continue throughout the summer don't worry guys we have you covered don't forget email us at openfloormail at gmail.com openfloormail at gmail.com also check us out on apple podcast search open floor that's two words find our page scroll down it says rate and review tap the five stars it's just that easy andrew you and i are the postmates of podcasts we love the ratings it really helps us andrew until next week i will talk to you
0: all right man take it easy Another great edition of Open Floor is in the books. Did you know Locked On has a daily podcast for all 30 NBA teams? If you're a Lakers fan, search Locked On Lakers. A Celtics fan, search Locked On Celtics. Warriors fans, search Locked On Warriors. Yes, all 30 NBA teams have a daily bite-sized podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network. Search on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts for Locked On, your favorite team. Or tell your smart speaker to play podcasts, Locked On, your favorite team. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.